Good morning, TTB community. Well, you know what? I guess good afternoon, good evening, good night, whatever it is, whatever time it is that you're listening to this podcast. I hope it's good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am Bob Demena, and here with me, as always, is the very stalwart Elliot Chibley. Stalwart. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. Can you yeah, can you give me the full definition? Sure. The full defini- def- definition <laughs> is loyal, reliable, and hardworking. The, I feel like the that's exam- typically applied to like a horse. Well, or a knight. Whoa! Wait, a horse. I've watched too much Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually watching that the show on Netflix that follows the Ottoman takeover of Constantinople and eventually, you know, the ultimate fall of the Roman Empire. It's so good, Uh, so good. Yeah, nice. Very nice. All right. So before we get into the podcast episode, what do we have going on today? Uh, Yeah, I just want to remind everyone we have a travel gear page on our website that gives you information on backpacks, water bottles, chargers, stuff that Bob and I use or want to use or have been recommended to. We also have a book a trip page where you can look at previous guests and book a trip through our website or not through our website, but we just have additional information on them, all of the links and info that you can find them. So ones like GJ Travel in Iceland and Greenland, Lima Gourmet in Peru, Trek Trek Hoppers in Peru and Colombia, and then Costa Costa, which is a lot of Latin America, Spanish countries. So yeah, check those out. And then also check out one of our free sample itineraries that Bob put together. It is completely detailed and it is exactly what he used when he took his trip. Yeah, they're they're works in progress. So I think Hawaii's up now. I'm working on Croatia and Bosnia, London, um, just places that I've been and that I've written up the itineraries for. I'm trying yep. to... We'll also have Peru up there as well. Peru, yep. And uh, they're going to be free. They're going to be for you to take and to learn about the country. And if you have questions on the itinerary, please feel free to reach out to us. So again, bear with us as we get those itineraries up and running. Hawaii is currently available for free, but there will be a bunch more to follow. All right. Uh, today, today's conversation was awesome. I know they say that about wow. every conversation. What are you have. doing? Oh, dude, I always, I always forget the, the, the... It's the most important part. It is. Go go for it. You do it. All right. So last week's episode was Jeff Evans. And what an incredible conversation that was. And the question was, by how many minutes did Jeff and his team lose the Expedition Impossible race in Morocco? And if you had said 10 minutes, you would have gotten that right. You would have received... A traveler's, you will receive a traveler's blueprint sticker and you will be highlighted on our Instagram story. And once again, thank you for participating in that. All right. Stay tuned to the end of the episode for this week's and this episode's trivia question. Yeah, that's a good. So there was a lot of trivia in this episode, which I thought was awesome. Um, So this is actually our very first return guest to the show. We had an awesome conversation. We learned a ton. We were definitely like students uh, being being schooled in this one. The conversation takes us from Haiti to Africa to Southeast Asia, and it really covers the plants and how they relate to people and culture. It was it, it was very cool. It was great to have him back. So, without further introduction, please give it up for our next guest, Scott Light. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Scott, welcome. Welcome back to the Traveler's Blueprint. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. So you are our first return guest, and we are very excited to renew our conversation with you about psychoactive flora, or to expand on the psychoactive flora, but also other uh, compounds and plants that you have been researching over the last several years. And just as a reminder to everyone listening, uh, Scott came on our show first last year around this time, and his episode is number 32, and it's Peru Part 3, Psychoactive Flora. So if you'd like to take a listen to that after this, please be our guest. So Scott, please... Just get into a little bit of what what else you've been doing since we last spoke. Well, I have mostly been been down in Peru. Um, the tourism business that I'm running, um, my company's called the Ethnobotanical Conservation Organization, or uh, Ethnoco for short, because that's way too much to say. Um, 
my, my company has grown a bit and things are sort of finally falling into place after doing this for five or six years. Um, I'm getting more groups, um, having more trips and, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really good. And also making more connections, deeper connections with the, uh, with the native people that we work with down in Peru, which includes the, uh, the Quechua people in the Andes and the Machinga in the Amazon. Awesome. So Very awesome. before we, we have a lot to talk about today and it's yes. all so, so interesting, but before we do, can you just give our listeners a brief description of what ethnobotany is? Sure. Um, so ethnobotany is the relationship between plants and people. Um, ethno is basically a, a root word that means people and botany of course is plants. So it is, uh, how people in various cultures view the plants that they use. Um, and an ethnobotanical is any plant that is used by people for any reason, basically. So it's, uh, the study of the relationship between plants and people. Yeah. Right. And yeah. for our guests, one of our, uh, or not for our guests, but for our listeners, Scott, I don't know if, uh, this episode has not been released yet, but I highly recommend you take a listen to it and maybe even reach out. But Tasha Goldberg came on last month and mm-hmm. she is an ethnobotanist also by trade. And she focuses on sustainability with people living off the landscape. Oh, very cool. Well, I, I will, uh, my little disclaimer, well, it's, there's a couple parts to this. Um, I am an amateur ethnobotanist. I don't have a degree. I uh, started going to Peru and quit going to school which uh, may or may not have been a good idea. <laughs> it seems like you're doing all right. <laughs> you seem yeah, to be I doing fine. So. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second part of the, the disclaimer is um, I do not uh, encourage or discourage anyone to, to use drugs. Um, and, and I would assume Traveler's Blueprint has the, uh, the same stance on that. Um, I encourage people to be well-educated, to research, and to, to know the facts. So, uh, Right. Yeah. So yeah, what we talk about today are the opinions and the information that we are, are, we know about. Um, but we highly recommend anyone listening. If you do think that this is something you want to explore further, it's always wise to get multiple forms of information and do, do, do your research in, you know, through several outlets and not just, not just us. This is just for informational purposes based on, you know, Scott, your experiences and uh, the questions that we have for you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, to, to catch people up a little bit, what we focused on last time was ayahuasca primarily because mm-hmm. Elliot and I were going to Peru and we wanted to learn more about it and we were interested in it. But today we're going to take a wider approach and get information from you on several psychoactive drugs around the world and how they have influenced these world cultures in some way. Because something that I noticed in your email back to me, you know, mm-hmm. I had asked you... Um, no, oh, I just had it up. Hold on. So I had asked you a question on how plants and culture related to each other. And right. you responded with something that I found very cool. Plants are culture. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, in all caps, plants are culture. And it, it makes sense. It does make sense. We, we rely on, on plants, the plants around us so heavily, our environment in general. Um, you know, so yeah, I don't know, how, where should we start? Well, um, well, I'll first say that, that, you know, that, that phrase I said, plants are culture. Um, what I mean is, is they're just such an integral part of our lives and, and of culture, you know, from the, the air we breathe being, being produced by plants to the, uh, you know, the food we eat, of course, is, is often plant-based unless it's meat, which then the, uh, the cow or whatever you're eating ingested plants to, uh, to provide that meat for you. Um, to the coffee and tea people drink. Um, it's just plants are, you know, uh, our culture is steeped in plants and, and most cultures are, and they use, you know, different, different plants around the world. And, and so basically that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I'd like to define a couple terms. Uh, we already defined what ethnobotany and uh, ethnobotanical is. Sorry, let me close that. Um, so the word psychoactive, which you used, um, psychoactive basically just means uh, anything that alters the psyche uh, beyond satiating uh, thirst or hunger. So, you know, a psychoactive could be anything from, from tobacco to coffee to ayahuasca to, you know, whatever, anything that alters your mind in any way, shape or form. Um, and also, when I say the word drug, I'm using that in the strictest scientific definition of the word. word. Um, that just means 
basically a psychoactive or anything that that alters your mind or it could even be a medicine some of the people that listen to my a couple of friends of mine that listen to the show from last time were like oh you you shouldn't call them drugs or whatever but you know okay medicine drug psychoactive whatever you prefer um but yeah just wanted to to define a couple terms before we got started sure um i have a question for you guys two questions actually all right the first one's probably pretty easy um well, what do you think the most popular drug on planet Earth is? I think I know the answer to this. I think Elliot does too. Yeah. Elliot, do you not know? Ooh. I, uh, you know, I mean, I was going to say coffee. That's what yes. I was going to say too. Okay. It would actually probably be tea because of all the, uh, the tea drinkers in, um, in Asia. So probably tea would win out. Um, but now it, the question will get a little bit harder. What do you think the top three are? The top three? So coffee's well, so- one. Coffee's ca- one. Caffeine-containing plants are one. Yeah. Okay. Tobacco. Yep. And then the third one's harder. Uh, ooh. In the what's, world. What's the What's the one that uh they chew on in the, Africa? Oh, that bean is that the root? Or is it red? coca? No, it's not coca. It is. is so it, it is the one in Africa that the that uh, nut caffeine. that like makes their saliva red. Yeah, I can't believe you guys got it. You guys are really yeah. smart. That's a yeah. beetle nut. <laughs> beetle uh, nut. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. it's called. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the uh, scientific name is Arika Katachu. I think I'm saying that right. Katachu, Katachu. Um, so we'll, we'll start with that plant. Um, it, it's one of the most widely used drugs on planet Earth. Um, estimates are that about 10% of the world's population uses the beetle nut, um, which is you know, a huge amount of people. And it's used primarily in India, Southeast Asia, some of the um, uh, Pacific islands like uh, Papua. And uh, yeah, as I said, it's one of the world's most popular stimulants. And it has an effect, like I would say, sort of like a combination between nicotine and caffeine. Um, it's used as a, as a mild stimulant. And it is often, um, they'll take the, the beetle nut, um, the, the fruit, and they'll either grate it up or use it fresh. It's much stronger when they use it fresh. And they'll put it in a leaf of a plant, which is in the peperaceae, the, the black pepper family which we'll, we'll talk more about the piperaceae in a little bit, but um, they'll add things like cardamom and maybe cinnamon and different spices and sometimes tobacco and a little bit of a basic substance such as, uh, as lime to change the pH, just as they do with coca, to bring out the, uh, the effects of the alkaloids more strongly. Um, it's been used for quite a long time. It was mentioned in ancient Persian and other Middle Eastern texts. And... Um, yeah, it's still very, very widely used today. Now, I, I've watched videos on this beetle nut, and I've seen people using it, and it's it's nasty. In you know, as far as they're chewing it, and it makes their teeth red. Does it yeah. rot their teeth out? There is definitely some evidence that <laughs> it causes um, negative effects on the on the mouth. Okay. Um, so there's some studies that say it may cause cancer, but it's a bit hard to. Uh, to be sure, because many people add tobacco to it. So we're not exactly sure if it causes cancer, but doing it all the time is definitely not good for your mouth. Um, the people will get like red or even black teeth. You, you can Google image um, these, especially Asian ladies. I think, I'm not sure, maybe Thailand, Indonesia, not exactly sure where they are, but there's one culture that actually considers that to be beautiful. Um, it's basically like, I have enough money to chew all the beetle nut I want, so I'm- uh, Yeah, I'm looking at it. Yeah, it's pretty gross. It's, it's pretty it, gross. Yeah. The the <laughs> habit the habit itself is similar to chewing tobacco, where you're just chewing chewing the the beetle nut and spitting on the ground or whatever. Yeah, um, and it, but that just you saying that there there's some people that find that beautiful. That's a whole other podcast and something that's incredibly interesting. Are beauty standards around the world? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And in the in the places it's it's used, um, you'll see red spit all over the sidewalks and uh, and walls and stuff where where men or women stand and, and chew it. Um, so it does have some some issues with it, although they're they're not you know a, a huge deal uh, right. as with some other drugs. Now with with beetle nut, do they eat it raw? Is it processed? How is it consumed? So in like Papua, for example, they usually use it fresh. And when you use it fresh, that's going to be the strongest, um, the strongest method of using it. 
Um, whereas in India and other places, they, they typically dry out the, the beetle nut and they, they grate it up on top of the, uh, the beetle leaf, which is a totally different plant um, in the black pepper family. So it depends on where you are in the world. Uh, I think in Papua, actually, it seems like they just straight uh, chew the nut with a bit of uh, the, uh, the lime, the basic substance. But it, it all depends on where you are, how it's prepared, and, and all those things. Okay. Yeah. Actually, um, it's legal in the U.S. Uh, this was one of the next questions. Um, it's legal in the U.S., and you can get it anywhere there's an Indian or Southeast Asian population. You can get it. Um, so, for example, I know in the, the largest city in North Carolina, Charlotte, um, there are some, some Indian and Southeast Asians. And I actually went into an Indian grocer and, uh, and bought some fresh beetle leaf and beetle nut and, uh, and chewed it a bit. My, my teeth aren't red yet. So. No, no, <laughs> we'll be the, you know, living in the United States where we have things like, you know, coffee and all these readily accessible stimulants, would there be any benefit to someone doing that over, let's say just grabbing a, an espresso? Well, it's just, it's unique. Um, okay. It doesn't, yeah. um, you know, it, do, it doesn't have caffeine in it. It's a different compound. And, you know, it's funny how some people will really love a certain psychoactive and others really don't get a kick out of it. So um, it's something that certainly I would suggest trying, but I would just brush your teeth really good after you do it. I think part of the issue why they get the red or black teeth is because they, that stuff sits in their mouth all day, every day, like unless they're asleep. I've even heard of people sleeping right before they go to bed, they'll put one in their mouth to, uh, to keep, wow. keep, keep it going through the night. So I'm pretty sure it's unless you chew it, it like it's a stimulant, it's stimulant. And it's, it's, it's highly addictive, right? Um, I wouldn't say highly addictive, but I'd say it's, it's, it's addictive. Okay. So it's a stimulant in the way that nicotine is a stimulant. Um, nicotine for me, you know, it makes me feel a bit more clear headed. Um, but it doesn't necessarily feel stimulating like coca leaf or caffeine or something like that. Um, so, I mean, they're just addicted to it. So it's became part of their body chemistry and, and they sort of just need it. They may not even be able to sleep if they don't have it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Although that's, I'm not sure about that. So take that with a grain of salt. Interesting. So the, uh, yeah. the next question for you guys was, you got the first one. So I was, I was very impressed. Um, if you get the next one, I'll be really impressed. All right. Uh, there are seven illegal plants in the United States. Oh, that, you did this the first time. Oh, did I? Okay, well, maybe we shouldn't do it again. No, I, no, um, this is no, – okay. let's do it. Let's do it. Let's it's do a it. year. All right. Yeah. Um, and, and when I say illegal plants, I mean that the, the plant – the botanical name of the plant is actually listed in law. There are plenty of plants where the chemical in the plant is illegal, but the plant is not, such as okay. San Pedro. Um, so – can you okay. name all seven? Okay. Marijuana. Yep. Federally. Coca. Yep. Psilocybin. Yep. Is that okay? Uh, uh, opium. Opium, yeah. Um, so what do we have? We have four. We got four. four. Ayahuasca. Nope. DMT. So yes, that's DMT. A, that's an extraction. Right. right. So that's one of the, uh, where the chemical in the plant is illegal, but the plant itself is not illegal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. So yeah, you're at four. So. Uh, peyote. Peyote, yep. And then the last two are really hard. They're obscure. Where do they originate? Africa. And Africa. the Middle East for one of them. Uh, I don't think I know the answer. Yeah, I don't know. You have a Tabernanth aboga, which contains Ibogaine. And you have a Catha edulis, the uh, quat or cat or cot. Yeah. That's what, they, that's what they chew in Ethiopia a lot. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so maybe we'll talk a little bit about uh, about Catha edulis or quat or chat or cot. There's many different uh, names for it. It contains uh, cathinone, which is um, most uh, it, it's best compared to amphetamine, although probably not quite as strong as amphetamine. But it is a stimulating plant. As far as I'm aware, it do doesn't cause cancer, nor does it uh, mess up your mouth like the betel nut can, and and that tobacco absolutely can. Um, probably the biggest issue with quat is that it grows in the desert and it requires, well, it's used in the desert and it requires a good bit of water. So a lot of times, um, like in Yemen, this is sort of become an issue in that they will, you know, like if they need to water the corn or water the cat and they only have enough water for one, they'll, uh, they'll just water their, their quat. <laughs> so, so because they, they, it definitely is addictive. There's no doubt about that. But it's used kind of similar to the coca leaf in that, you know, after a meal or whatever, 
um, depending on which part of the world you're in, in Ethiopia, both men and women use it. Whereas in the Middle East, I think only the men are allowed to use it. Um, hmm. Not a hundred percent on that, but, but uh, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll sit around after a meal and chew and chew and chew. And I have never seen people. I mean, I chew a lot of coca and I get a big old cheek, but these guys literally put, it looks like their cheeks going to explode. They put as much as they possibly can in their cheek. Um, but it, it's used in these, you know, social settings, these sort of sessions where they sit around and talk. Um, but it's also used, um, some Muslims will use it as a prayer aid um, when they're praying or, or fasting during Ramadan, they may use it. Um, but other Muslims don't like it. So there's a bit of a divide in the Islamic community, which of course is huge and, and diverse and you have many different aspects of it. But um, some Muslims think it's bad. Some think it's great. Interesting. Um, so is it also known as the flower of paradise? I'm not sure about that. Okay. I've never really seen a picture of it with flowers, but that doesn't mean that it's not, uh, that it doesn't have flowers. Um, and I, I think I said this, but it's, it's used in Northeastern uh, Africa, Ethiopia, the Middle East, basically the, the Red Sea region. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Have you guys ever been yeah. to, the, to the Middle East? Uh, I've been to Abu Dhabi. That, okay. That's it, though. Not really. Yeah. Not the, not like a full Middle Eastern experience by any means. No. It was a beautifully Just, brand new city. Yeah. yeah. And Did Dubai see, for a half second. Okay. Did you see any uh, any quat use in, in your time there? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. Okay. The only time I saw it was in Tanzania. Oh, really? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And, and so it's similar to the cocoa leaf. And so that's something, you know, now that we're talking after Elliot and I have been to Peru... We did try the the coca leaves and to, to assist honest, with the altitude sickness. Yeah, and coca tea. And I don't know if I have I I have a strong tolerance for caffeine, mm-hmm. and maybe that's why I didn't feel anything. But when I did it, I didn't really notice any difference in anything. It didn't really stimulate me in any way. Right. Did you use a uh, yipta? No, no idea. Nope, no. no, no <laughs> I don't think it. That's so basically. Um, for me, coca leaf without yipta is like having a cigarette and not having a lighter. Um, yipta is the, the ashes of certain plants. Sometimes they'll use the, uh, the pod of cacao. Um, they'll use the stalks of quinoa. They put it in a ceramic vessel, the stalks, and then they build a fire around it and burn it down to ash. With that ash, they mix in a little bit of water or chicha or some sort of liquid. And it's a very, very basic substance. And it converts the, the, the alkaloids in the coca leaf from uh, being, uh, usually they're absorbed orally, but when you add the yipta, that allows you to absorb it through the, the lining of your mouth. Um, so if you didn't use okay. yipta, it, it won't work at all. Like I love chewing coca, and if I forget my yipta at home, I won't even try it because it doesn't work. Interesting, okay, yeah. I, yeah, and that makes sense because I didn't understand what all the hype was, but we just bought it. I mean, you know, we were in the store or whatever, and yeah. there was a million yeah. shops, so we just grabbed a bag of it for, you know, a few dollars, not even a few dollars. Not even, yeah. Another important thing about the coca leaf is the freshness. Uh, It's very important that it's fresh. I always tell people, take the leaf and the leaf can't dance. You know, you flex it back and forth. If it breaks, it's no good. I'm pretty sure ours are just brittle, dry leaves. Ours are probably like a year old. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, usually what they do is like the the people that sell to tourists and stuff just buy the oldest, cheapest leaves they can find and and sell them to the tourists because the tourists don't know. But – yeah, coca leaf is um, Erythroxylum coca, um, and there's about four different varieties of, of coca leaf that, that are used. Um, there is a coca product that you can contain uh, obtain in the United States, which of course is Coca-Cola. Now, I don't know how much uh, coca leaf is in a bottle of Coca-Cola. Of course, there's no cocaine, but basically the, uh, the Coca-Cola company has a monopoly on importing coca leaves. I believe they import it to somewhere in Florida and somehow they extract the cocaine out, which they then sell to the pharmaceutical industry. And then they make a non-cocaine containing coca leaf extract, which still does go into Coca-Cola uh, to this day. Wow. wow, I did not know that. I Neither did I, no. And yes. I love how they're just selling the cocaine to the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, they'll use cocaine today. Like uh, my stepmom had some eye surgery and she had to get this note from the doctor that said she might uh, have cocaine in her system because they uh, gave her cocaine eye drops to do this, this surgery. I'm not exactly sure what they did, but they diluted cocaine into a solution and dropped it in her eye and apparently made her eye quite uh, numb and uh, 
not feel pain and they were able to do the work on her uh, that way. Interesting. I yeah. didn't, yeah. So cocaine has a numbing agent? It does, yes. So, you know, Novocaine, it's in the in the cane family. So Okay, like lidocaine, also, Novocaine. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think actually that, that those are perhaps synthesized from cocaine. Maybe they can be made on their own now, but at one point they were uh, they were synthesized from from cocaine. Okay. Um, w- when I do coca leaf, like my cheek will be huge, and uh, I use a good bit of yipta, and I, I usually buy the freshest leaves from the jungle, and I keep them like uh, in a couple different plastic bags, and I squeeze all the air out. Um, my cheek will basically go completely numb. Like I, I can barely feel it if I tap on my cheek, and my okay. hands will shake too. <laughs> wow yeah wow. i mean it's it's quite strong if you but i'll sit there and chew and chew and chew put some yipta in chew some more um and over the course of you know one to three hours i keep chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing and eventually you you get to quite a uh, uh, a stimulated state i'd say it's stronger than coffee and i mean unless you drink like six cups or something yeah huh. wow okay uh, um, all right scott so so for yeah. Um, you know, we're limited on time, sort of. Yeah. You know, we, I want to make sure we transition to the psychoactive plants. Sure. It's, it's something that I've found incredibly interesting. You know, each culture seems to have a history with a certain plant that has influenced them in some way, whether it was spiritually or medically. But, and correct me if I'm wrong, every continent appears to have their own plant to, that has done a similar thing where you can read these texts about these, these spiritual meetings or medicinal meetings. And it all is traced back to a plant that has influenced their psyche in some way. I'll, I'll let you take the lead on which ones you want to describe first and how you want to describe them. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel um, free. Absolutely. So every single continent um, certainly has a, a psychoactive plant, except for Antarctica, I, I suppose. Um, but uh, not only every continent, but every single culture, it's a, a, a cultural universal, just like music or, or laughter. Every single culture on planet Earth uses some sort of psychoactive drug. Um, they used to think that um, the, I believe the Inuit or the Eskimos did not have a psychoactive uh, drug that they used, but I'm not sure how long ago, I mean, fairly recently, maybe 20 to 40 years or something, they found this, uh, I believe it was some sort of lichen that the Inuit were using uh, as an intoxicant. So every single culture on planet Earth uses some sort of psychoactive compound or another. Most of them use uh, multiple different psychoactive plants. Okay. Um, So real quick, I'll I'll say this, Uh, you know, why study psychoactive plants? Is it just because I'm a stoner and I like to get high? Yes, but that's not the only reason. <laughs> In all seriousness, um, it's because it offers you an insight into different cultures that normally you, would, you wouldn't be able to get. Um, the plants or the substances that a culture uh, reveres and demonizes tells you a lot about that culture. Um, for example, our culture for a very long time, um, you know, uh, revered alcohol, um, nicotine, and caffeine. Uh, because those fit very well into the the sort of model of society we have. The uh, the caffeine and the nicotine help you keep working, help you you know get up in the morning, be productive, and then you have some alcohol on the weekends or in the evening to uh, to calm down. Um, so it, it you know looking at different psychoactives gives gives us a window into these cultures that we we normally might not have. Um, I was going to begin with one of the oldest uh, psychoactive plants or entheogenic plants, which means it uh, creates a feeling, uh, a divine experience. And that is uh, Amanita muscaria, or the fly agaric, which is the Mario mushroom, the red and white mushroom. Like when you think oh, of a, a classic yeah. fairy tale mushroom. The, I didn't know uh, that was real. It's real. It is absolutely real. They're beautiful. If you put them in Google images, they're one of the prettiest mushrooms you'll ever see. Um, there are these, so first uh, I'll say that the word shaman is actually from a culture in Siberia. They're called the uh, Evinki. I think I'm saying that right. It's E-V-E-N-K-I. Um, and they have a word called Saman, which is where the word shaman comes from. Of course, shaman is someone that, I define shamanism is as a, uh, a religion that practices a direct connection with the divine. So they threw, uh, there's the three Ds of shamanism, uh, dreaming, 
drugs and drumming. Um, so through dreaming or music or, or psychoactive plants, they create a direct connection with the divine. But anyway, there was these, uh, these people in ancient Siberia, well, and even in the modern day, they still use uh, Amanita muscaria. Um, but first, let me back up a little bit. They're, the oldest text we have are called the Rig Vedas, and I think I'm saying that correctly. Um, the Rig Vedas are from ancient India. I think they're about 6,000 years old. I know that they're some of the oldest texts that we have. And the Rig Vedas, um, in multiple different passages, they talk about this magical, mystical plant called Soma, or Hoama. Um, not to be confused with a drug named Soma, a, a pharmaceutical pill named Soma. I mm -hmm. think they actually named it after, after that. So don't confuse the two. Okay. Um, so this Soma is a very powerful psychoactive or entheogenic plant, and it's said to be drank by the gods to, uh, to send them into ecstatic states, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But nobody knows the botanical or uh, mycological identity of this plant. And there's been a lot of theories. Um, some people have theorized that it may be an ephedra species, uh, which contains ephedrine. It's a, it's a stimulant-like plant. Or that it may be hashish or opium or a number of other things. But I find the, the most compelling arguments uh, were put forth by uh, Gordon R. Wasson. I believe the name of his book is The Mushrooms of Immortality. Pretty sure that's the name. Uh, Gordon R. Watson suggested it was Amanita muscaria. And Terence McKenna suggested that it was psilocybe species, um, magic, the classic magic mushroom that you think of. So we, we don't know, but uh, this book, The Rig Vedas, uh, just extolled the, the virtues of this amazing plant, whatever it may be. But I think Amanita muscaria is probably the most likely candidate. I always thought it was interesting that uh, Nintendo chose that mushroom for Mario because it does change your perception of the size of objects, which is fitting because when Mario consumes it, he either gets big or small. Exactly. Well, there's that theory that, that Mario is just some crappy plumber who takes up mushrooms and his entire, <laughs> the entire existence of his video game experience is him on magic mushrooms. Like right. the whole universe is one trip. And really, he's <laughs> passed out in some guy's bathroom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sleeping like on the that. job. Yeah. <laughs> I like that theory. Yeah. Yeah, it is very interesting that, uh, I can't remember, the Miyamoto or whatever the uh, the Japanese guy's name is, uh, chose that uh, that mushroom. Now, it could be it's just one of the most, most iconic mushrooms that exist. But who knows? Um, but a little bit back to the uh, back to the Siberian shamans. So these people are, are reindeer herders. They live in the northeast of, uh, of Siberia. And um, they use the Amanita muscaria, the Mario mushroom, um, as their divine substance to, to connect with, with the spirit world, with God. Um, but as I was saying earlier, the Amanita muscaria mushroom doesn't contain psilocybin. It contains uh, muscimol and ibotanic acid. And I believe the muscimol is the more desirable of those two compounds, um, whereas the ibotenic acid has a bit more effects like uh, nausea and, you know, dizziness, not feeling so great. Um, but point being, one of the compounds is more desirable than the other. And you can help to convert uh, the one compound into the other by drying the mushroom very thoroughly or by heating it. But another way to convert it this is probably one of the strangest things that we'll talk about. Um, maybe not, actually. Um, <laughs> one, one, one way to convert it is to send it through the, uh, the kidneys of a, uh, of a creature. Could be a man, could be a reindeer. Um, the, right. uh, these people would, they're reindeer herders, so they would milk the reindeer. They would sometimes kill the reindeer and eat them. Um, the reindeer absolutely love the Amanita muscaria mushroom. They will fight over it. And they will even dig through uh, snow to find the Amanita muscaria, and they get intoxicated on it. That's exactly what they want to do. They're trying to get to get high on this mushroom. Um, if the reindeer gets to it first, or they notice uh, that the reindeer has been eating the Amanita muscaria, they will collect the urine of the reindeer and ingest the urine. And what this does is it the kidneys and liver of the reindeer convert the less desirable compounds into the more desirable compounds. So the reindeer pee is actually better than eating the mushroom itself. Wow. How's it taste? I don't know. I've never had any <laughs> reindeer piss. Um, 
but also they will sometimes the the shaman will ingest the mushrooms and then the other participants will drink the urine of the shaman um another account i heard was basically the people who could afford the mushrooms would would buy them and eat them and the poor people would like hang out outside the party with a cup and when they came to pee they they'd fill up and, and have something oh man yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty pretty gross that that's wow. in the that's funny. Yeah. I mean, I was I was listening to I think it might have been a podcast um, where they were talking about doing magic mushrooms and they were they were saying that you have your own pee and like you know you could take them and then to just to keep it going drink your own pee and then another guy was like, dude, why don't you just take more mushrooms? Right. I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm not so sure that they didn't have their their wires crossed on that one. I think um I think that only happens with the Amanita muscaria mushrooms. So maybe they're oh, a little okay. confused. Um. Let's see, a couple more things about this real quick before we move on to the next one. Um, it, it, it sort of has a wide variety of experiences because of this, um, this uh, there's two different compounds and you know one sort of makes you more sick, one sort of has more desirable effects. And it depends on sort of the strain of the mushroom, the growing season, uh, you know, where you get it from. So, so that's something I'd like to touch on is that if anyone, and again, not discouraging or encouraging anyone to do anything but research, um, but let's say you were want, wanting to work with one of these plants, what you want to do is you want to, to build a relationship with the plant and you want to, you know, like it's a friend or an ally and you sort of discover through, uh, through research and through use of it, you know, how to prepare it, what time to pick it, you know, how to, uh, how to grow it. Um, how to ingest it, how to prepare it. All these things often take, uh, you know, years to learn how to do. So um, all these plants and really anything in life, it's, it's not something you should, you should rush into. It's something that you should uh, cultivate a, a long-term relationship with. And that's how you could potentially do these things, you know, safely and intelligently, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, to to add to exactly that, there is a way to do these in a very safe way. And what I want to kind of get across to people is there's a there's a stigma around ingesting these plants that you're you're going to, you know, you're going to be so messed up and it's going to be a horrible experience. And a lot of that stigma came from people abusing them. Absolutely. And what you need to picture in your head is just like you can go down and have a nice dinner and have two glasses of wine and enjoy yourself. It, that experience is going to be very different from the person who goes to a nightclub and has six shots of tequila. Yep. And so just like you can abuse alcohol or take alcohol in, in a very moderate and beneficial way, you can do the same with a lot of these plants and you can take them in a very low dose and to have some sort of personal experience, which for some people can be, you know, a revelation. It can be very groundbreaking. It can be very significant to that person. You can abuse it and you could go down this horrible path um, and have a very horrible experience. So considering, if you're considering doing something like this, obviously you start small, but you don't need to go in with the idea that, oh, I'm going to get so messed up. It can be very light. It could be like having a beer, having a glass of wine and, and, and going with that approach. Yeah. When you have your first drink, you don't go for the fifth of Jack Daniels. Yeah. Exactly. Unless it's a bad day, you don't, yeah, you don't go up to the <laughs> bar and, and start with, you know, start rough and, I mean, it all comes down to the type of experience you want to have, but that stigma, especially in the United States and in Europe, came from people who were abusing it. And, you know, mushrooms are going to make you see crazy colors and you're going to go to this other dimension and there's going to be flying animals. And right. that's not necessarily what it is about. And that's, not, that's kind of, you know, that's why I wanted to talk to you because these plants are so significant to these cultures. And when used appropriately, they, they can be informative and they can connect people to themselves, to the people around them, to the environment around them. And they really can have a, a significant positive impact on the person taking them if done responsibly. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we also have to consider that, you know, um, people using these psychedelic uh, or entheogenic substances in our society, um, it's not like in the Amazon where there's a shaman who knows everything about it, um, who has his father did and his grandfather did it. There's no one to go to. So basically people wanting to do these things in our culture are sort of just having to figure it out on their own, um, which is part of the reason why issues occur. Um, it's a shame that we don't have, you know, guides and, and people that could, uh, could help do these things safely. And I think that's something we need to keep in mind that 
as we sort of move towards um, legalizing these things or decriminalizing them as they've done in some, uh, I think Santa Cruz recently decriminalized some stuff. We need to keep in mind that these things are not 100% perfectly safe and that people need um, information, education, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, to, uh, to be safe while, while doing these, these various plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some plants that are absolutely not safe. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's, let's do that. Okay. Um, <laughs> so these are what I call the, uh, the hexing herbs or the baneful botanicals. The, uh, <laughs> love alliterations. <laughs> the, uh, these plants were used in medieval Europe. Uh, as well as some of the ones I'm going to talk about were used in, uh, in Latin America. Well, wouldn't have been Latin America at the time. Mesoamerica and South America, the Amazon, the Andes, etc. cetera. Uh, so these are plants like henbane, mandrake, belladonna, datura, rugmansia. Um, these plants that mostly contain tropane alkaloids. Um, tropane alkaloids are like scoplamine, uh, atropine. Um, scoplamine actually can be purchased... Uh, over-the-counter as an anti-nausea medication. And if you take a very small amount, it has an anti-nausea effect. If you take a very large amount, it is a delirient hallucinogen. Very, very different from the the indole uh, hallucinogens like psilocybin, LSD, DMT. Um, Creates a totally different experience. And one of the scary things about it is um, it creates hallucinations that are indistinguishable from normal reality. Uh, so you will not have any idea that it's a hallucina- hallucination and isn't real. Um, here's another question for you. Go, go ahead if you were going to say something. That, that seems dangerous. These are very dangerous. <laughs> these are very. These are the only ones that I would absolutely not recommend anyone do. Well, so so why, do, why do people do them if they know that it's going to create a hallucination that they can't tell the difference? Well, um, one reason being was, uh, these are probably, these were the most powerful plants in like, uh, ancient and medieval Europe, uh, that, that could be used. And, you know, they actually, they, if you practice with them for years and years and years, and you're trained by a, a master shaman and all these things, you can do them safely. There are many people around the world who, who use them and are fine. But if you take too much, I mean, you can just die from the toxicity. Like if you take too much, you can just die flat out. Um, so they're very, very dangerous. Um, but here is an example of, of a positive use of it. So this, uh, this cordendero, uh, this shaman I work with named Don Alberto, um, who is a, a Machinga uh, shaman. He, uh, I've worked with him since 2012. He lives in the um, south, uh, the southern Peruvian Amazon. And uh, he is an amazing shaman and healer. He's just a, an all-around great guy and, um, and a very powerful healer. So there was this girl in the... So the Machinga live in a little village, but there's also a, a mestizo, a mixed blood, uh, you know, native and uh, Spanish descent people town about an hour or two away. And there was this girl in the, uh, in the local town there who had tried to commit suicide. It was like her... Uh, I don't know what happened. She was like 15, like 14 or 15 years old. And like her boyfriend left her. I don't, I don't know what happened, but she tried to kill herself for some reason. She'd been depressed for many years. And so her parents had taken her to the doctor and that didn't work. So um, eventually they took her to Alberto and asked if Alberto could help heal her. And they did a number of ayahuasca ceremonies where I believe um, Alberto and the girl took ayahuasca together. And Alberto tried to heal her um, that way through the, through the ayahuasca. Well, for whatever reason, it didn't work. And so Alberto almost never uses, uh, there's a plant called Brugmansia. It's uh, the angel's trumpets. It's a big white or red hanging flower, um, about eight to 10 inches long, really, really big flowers. Um, And these contain sculpamine and other compounds that we were talking about earlier. And Alberto only uses this plant in the case that the ayahuasca was not able to fix the problem. So I believe only Alberto took the this brew. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think only he took it. Maybe the girl took it as well. Anyway, um, there, there's part of belief that, um, so if something, so these plants will make, basically make a normal person crazy. So the thinking is, if you're crazy, it'll make you normal. <laughs> Two um, negatives make a positive. Right. So, but what Alberto told me he did was um, he used this plant and he traveled into the underworld 
and he found where the girl's soul had been lost somewhere in the underworld and he brought her soul back and put it back in her body and from that day she was she was healed she was back to normal um and it's been about three or four years and i haven't heard any anything but positive stuff i've actually seen her a couple times wait hold um, on hold on i so <laughs> so he she had skepticism she she had to have taken it as well right i mean he couldn't have been the only one to take it i know i'm i'm i know that there's a lot of very 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 strong research on psychedelics um that even in yeah. the united states and throughout canada and europe where it is helping people with ptsd and depression and anxiety and you know things like quitting smoking like there's there it seems to be you can't argue that this stuff can change someone's psyche for the better yeah. and rewire them. So I, I get that. But for her not to have taken it, I don't understand how that, that could have happened. Well, uh, two things. So let's keep in mind that th this stuff we're talking about right now is very, very different from the, the classical psychedelics like mushrooms, LSD, et cetera. Also, um, shamans are masters of placebo. If you believe you're healed, you will be healed. So what they do is they use placebo to their advantage. Um, so maybe, maybe he convinced her that she was healed and, uh, and thus she felt better. Okay. Um, yeah. And, Minds and, are pretty powerful. Exactly. And um, maybe she did take it. I, I can't remember that, that part, but um, another question for you guys. So yeah. that, that's Brugmansia. That's the one that comes from the Amazon. You can actually buy it at like garden centers because it's a really beautiful plant. But again, highly suggest that nobody, nobody use this plant. It's very dangerous. It doesn't really get stolen at garden centers. He was just kidding. <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, why do witches fly on brooms? They're riddles yeah, at yeah. us now, huh? Uh. Um, well, yeah. What's with the witches flying on brooms? I don't know where that came from. They were sweeping something up and they breathed it in and they had a broom in their hand and so they flew away. <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> so because these plants um like maybe some of you have heard of mandrake from harry potter it's a root that you pull it up and it looks like a little man and i'll, I'll tell the myth about the little man before i tell why witches ride brooms um the <laughs> the root of the mandrake looks like a little man and apparently there was a myth a, a commonly held belief in uh in ancient Europe, that if you were to pull mandrake out of the ground, the mandrake root would scream and anyone who heard the scream would die. So what they would do is they would tie a, a dog to it and they would just leave the dog there and the dog would struggle and pull and try to get away. And eventually he would pull the, the mandrake root out of the ground and then he'd probably go back to his owner. So he'd just bring the root with them and they were able to collect it and, and use it for whatever they, uh, they wanted to use it for. Um, so these henbane, mandrake, belladonna, uh, datura, witches in, uh, in medieval dark ages times in Europe would uh, use these plants. But because they're quite dangerous to ingest orally, they would make a, uh, a salve. They would uh, boil them in oil or, uh, or butter or you know, animal fats or something like that. And they would apply this salve with their broomstick to their genital regions. And that is how they uh, use the, these plants, which are very dangerous, in a safer way by absorbing it through the mucous membranes uh, in various parts of the bodies. And that's why they're depicted as riding brooms. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is one of the most interesting things I've heard in a <laughs> long time. That's so, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, while we're still on the subject of the. So uh, they, they're not actually <laughs> flying. They think they're flying. So it, it induces sensations and feelings of, uh, of flying, of astral projection of um, being able to see at, at great distances. So this whole thing of them flying is, that's part of it as well, is, is that they would use the brooms to, uh, to, to take the drug basically. And then they would uh, have a sensation of flying where they could uh, see you know, far away objects or places. Um, and the, uh, the word belladonna, which means a uh, beautiful woman in Italian, got its names because during the Renaissance, women would make eye drops out of belladonna, and to make themselves more beautiful, they would drop some of the uh, the belladonna eye drops in their eyes, and it would dilate their eyes, so they would have huge pupils. 
and it's actually still used for that in various types of um, of um, when you need the, the pupils dilated, they still use these, these compounds. That's what that okay. is. Yes. That's what makes, yes. That's a tropine. That's cool. Yeah. I still have um, a photo of when I had that done at, at my eye exam a few years ago and my pupils were just massive and everything was bright for several hours. Exactly. So that was uh, that was most likely a tropine or a, uh, a related compound. Um, these plants also can, in addition to the, the, the flying, the aerial perspectives, they can induce a, a feelings of lycanthropy, uh, being able to turn into animals. So some people also think that some of the mythologies surrounding werewolves um, came from these plants. Mm. Um, that reminds me of my fav- one of my favorite uh, childhood books growing up, which was The Animorphs. <laughs> they were great. I love those. They were those great were books, great. yeah. yeah they I were read, awesome. I read tons of those. Yeah, yeah. same. <clears throat> Um, the, the last little thing I have about the, the baneful botanicals, and this may very well be the, the strangest thing we talked about, the, the witch thing, the broomstick thing was pretty strange, but this, <laughs> you're going to um, top it, huh? <laughs> so in Haiti, the island of, of Haiti, which is, uh, got Dominican Republic on one side, Haiti on the other side. I think that's right. Um, there is a, a cultural complex and, uh, basically in Haitian culture, zombies are real um if you want to know more about this now they're not truly undead they're not dead but if you want to know more about this i encourage you to read the books by wade davis called uh the serpent and the rainbow and the other book is a uh, passage of darkness and what they do in haiti is there are these basically these secret societies that that cropped up as a way to um in rural areas out of the reach of government the, uh, the rural Haitians organized themselves into these secret societies in order to, uh, to keep the, the peace, in, in order to keep uh, society, you know, uh, uh, working in order. well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and punish people for crimes. So you would have to commit a really heinous crime for someone to, uh, to want to turn you into a zombie. But basically it was something that was culturally sanctioned by many people. And the person who had been offended could go to the secret society and ask if it was okay to get a, uh, a bokor, which is a basically a shaman in, uh, in Haitian culture, to turn this person into a zombie. And what they would do is, have you guys ever heard of fugu in J- from Japan? No. Nope. It's, it's a puffer fish that's uh, cut oh, into like yes. sashimi. I have, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, Poisonous before cooking and then once you... Or you like know, the liver is... Exactly. It, okay. it has um, it has certain compounds in it. It's called tritata toxin that are poisonous. And it's the job of the chefs in Japan to uh, to leave just a tiny bit of tritata toxin left in it, so you get a, a bit of numbness or tingling on your lips when you're eating this uh, this pufferfish. And the rule in Japan is if someone is suspected of of dying from from pufferfish, they are left by the graveside for three days because oftentimes they'll just wake up. But what the tritata toxin does to you, it paralyzes you uh, basically completely. So you can't move. It's, it can slow your heart rate down to as little as like uh, one beat every two minutes or something like that. What? Yeah. But you won't die. Uh, also, apparently, in some cases, you can hear and you, your eyes are closed. So you can't see. But uh, you can hear. Uh, you can smell. You're basically fully conscious, but you can't move. You can't talk. You can't open your eyes. You can't do anything. Um, so this will induce a, a state which appears like death. And it is a state which even Western medical doctors have been fooled into believing that the person was dead. And then later they, they, they woke back up. Is that the same drug that uh, Juliet was going to use or did it use? Used. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. Like in Romeo and Juliet? Yeah. I am not sure. To me, that would not make sense for the time and the place. I would imagine she used something like um, like wolfsbane or a classic European poison, but hmm. not sure. Okay. Um, but anyway, so these uh, these Haitian bokors, these Haitian shamans, uh, if a person has been deemed, uh, if it's acceptable to to turn them into a zombie via the uh, the secret societies who give the go ahead, they will be poisoned with the pufferfish, which also contains a mixture of of other compounds. Um, and it's important to remember that this is, this is a culturally bound experience. So these people, if, if you're not part of this culture who believes so deeply 
in, in these things, it probably wouldn't work on you. So that's an important aspect of this to remember. Um, basically, they believe that a zombie is a person who has had their soul stolen. And, and that happens through this, this process um, of the, of the pufferfish poison. So they would be poisoned with the pufferfish. Um, they would then die or appear to die um, anywhere from, you know, six to, to 24 hours later. Um, in Haiti, because of the tropical climate, people are ve buried very quickly um, because, you know, the body will start rotting, et cetera, et cetera. So the family has a, a quick funeral and then the person is buried. The, uh, the bokur, the evil shaman, will then wait by the graveside until the, uh, the family has buried the person. And they will come at night. They will dig up the person, take them from the ground, and then they feed them a paste of, uh, of detura, which is very similar to some of the, the baneful botanicals we were talking about earlier. They feed them such a high amount, and they do it over and over again, that they are uh, in a, a constant state of stupor, and it may even give them a, some brain damage because they, they give them so much. Um, and then they basically convince them that they've had their soul stolen, and they'll often make them work uh, basically as slaves on different plantations in Haiti. And from what I understand, I mean, this was happening quite frequently uh, in the 20th century and may still happen sometimes today. I mean, this is wow. real. Wow. Whoa. That's unreal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. That's um, so the, zomb the zombie like folklore is not, it, it comes from somewhere. It comes from somewhere. There's a there's a grain of of truth uh, in in these. Interesting. Yeah. Do you remember the first time I heard of the fugu, and I didn't realize it was called fugu. I had forgotten was actually on The Simpsons. Homer oh, really? had Homer had to uh, eat the fugu, and if the chef the chef knew whether or not he poisoned Homer, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. That's that's incredible, man. Um, Wow. Be, before we wrap up, we don't have much time left. Okay. And, I, and I just, I still want to at least briefly give our listeners um, an idea of what your tours are actually like and what they can expect to, when they book with you. So I do want to just quick, briefly jump on that. Do you have anything else you want to quickly add on, on psychoactive plants? Can you give me like uh, like three or four minutes to just go rapid fire real quick? Yeah. Yeah. yeah go right. for it. Cool. So one, I'm going to talk about cannabis very briefly. The uh, word hashish and assassin are related to each other. There was an ancient, uh, in ancient Middle East, there was a group of assassins and the leadership of the assassins would drug young men with hashish. They would knock them out. They would wake up in a garden. In this garden, it was full of beautiful plants, fruits, and hot women. Um, and they would then drug them again, put them back out in the street, and tell them, if you join the assassins, we will let you into heaven. And they were convinced that that was heaven. And that's how they recruited <laughs> assassins. And that's part of where the word hashish comes from. Um, Whoa. <laughs> next, um, there is a plant called kava kava. It is an anti-anxiety plant. Um, it is used in place of alcohol in many parts of uh, the South Pacific. Um, it's used in welcoming ceremonies. And uh, it's generally used as a social lubricant, much as alcohol is, but um, doesn't have nearly as many negative effects as alcohol. And it's often even prescribed in places like Germany as an anti-anxiety medication. Huh. Um, next one, morning glory. The, uh, the morning glories were used in ancient um, Mesoamerica. Um, the Aztecs had a, a name for one called Olaliqui, which means a round thing or the the snake plant was another name. Um, they contain lysergic acid, which is similar to LSD. Um, and they are completely legal and um, fairly safe and powerful. Not that I'm encouraging anyone to do anything. Um, <laughs> um, Caffeine-containing plants are some of the uh, most widely used uh, drugs on planet Earth. And we're going to talk about two of them very quickly. There's one called Wayusa or Gayusa, which has the highest caffeine-containing uh caffeine content i'm talking too fast <laughs> of, of are you any, on it right now <laughs> yes yes of uh, of any plant on earth and there are um certain tribes that use it during ayahuasca ceremonies to stay awake how they is it spelled it, uh g u a y u s a it's it's in the holly family okay oh and, all right um They'll use, it's called the uh, night watchman's herb because they will drink it um, every night to stay awake. And also this tribe will use it in the morning. They drink it and then they purge, um, they puke. Another plant that is in North America, it's the only caffeine containing plant in North America, it's called Elix vomitoria, the Yapon holly. 
and um, it was used in ancient uh, rituals by the North American natives, uh, like in my state of North Carolina, it grows on the coast and was used by the natives uh, hundreds of years ago. And um, the name vomiteria comes from the fact that they would boil it down into a thick uh, tea and then drink a bunch of it and puke. And whoever could like puke the furthest was the, the manliest man. Um, however, you can just make it in a, uh, like a normal tea and, and you won't puke. <laughs> All right. Um, I think, yeah, we'll just, we'll stop there. I know. We'll have to get you back on, man. You're going to have to, you, this might at, at a minimum be like an annual thing where you come on and tell us more awesome stories about <laughs> That'd be great. around and, the road. Yeah. While I'm, while I'm thinking of it, uh, I would love to do a show, uh, um, animals that are used as drugs. Yes. I want to talk about Ooh. that. And animals that use drugs. So okay. yes. we, All we right. could do a whole yeah. show on that. And that'd be let's, great. Yeah. Let's note that for, for yeah. a future date. So <clears throat> yeah, before we get off very quickly, I just want you to go over what your, your company actually does, because I found it very interesting in the email you wrote back to me. I already knew what you guys did, but your write up really kind of clarified it for me. Now, Peru, obviously when people think of going to Peru, they automatically go to Machu Picchu. And I don't yep. want to take that away from anybody because the experience was incredible. And I highly recommend everybody goes and sees Machu Picchu at least one time in their lives. It was amazing. Yes. That being said, what Elliot and I learned while in Peru was just how diverse the country was. Environmentally, you have the coastline up into the Andes and then down into the Amazon. You can have such a different experience every time you go. Now, your company, I, I'm not sure where you operate out of, you can tell us, but what you offer is this very, very remote, authentic, ancient-seeming experience. So here, with, with that being said, what can people expect with your company? Um, so we try to offer people, a, you know, as you're saying, a, a deeper experience in Peru than just going to Machu Picchu and taking a picture of a llama, which we, we certainly, you should do that as well, but you should also- We did uh, that. Yes. <laughs> Everyone who goes to Peru should should go to Machu Picchu and take a picture of a yama, but also um, some a bit of uh, deeper experience as well. So the two main places we like to go are the uh, the southern Amazon near Manu National Park. Manu National Park is one of the most uh, pristine and biodiverse chunks of jungle left on planet Earth. It's um, over a it's like 1.5 uh, million hect- hectares, so it's a huge huge reserve. Um, there we work with the Machinga people, and uh, if people want, they can uh, take part in a traditional ayahuasca ceremony with a, a real uh, native shaman. This is not a retreat center. This is not a uh, some gringo ran, uh, you know, hotel or something. This is, we go to a village, we walk up in the village, we find the shaman who I'm friends with, and uh, he says, yeah, come back on Tuesday, and, you know, we're going to do ayahuasca with the, uh, the gringos and a couple matching of people. So it's, it's, just, it's as authentic as, as you can get. Um, and then we also work with the Quechuas in the Andes in a uh, very remote region, about six hours above the Sacred Valley. Um, most of the people there, um, some of the men will speak Spanish, but I'd say 90% of the women don't speak anything but Quechua. Um, they only speak Quechua. And they're uh, potato farmers, alpaca herders, and they weave the most beautiful textiles. So that tour is focused on uh, Quechua culture and uh, weaving and, and textiles and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, we, we basically try to offer a bit of a deeper experience, um, an educational experience. And our motto uh, at Ethnoco, my company, is uh, helping people help plants help people. So that means you know, uh, <laughs> we help uh, people. Let's say we help the the uh, tourists to to be introduced to a uh, a plant like ayahuasca, and then that ayahuasca in turn, you know, helps them in the in their lives or whatever it may be. Right. Yeah. I really I really like your company and its motto and what it's doing. And next time we go to Peru, I'd really like to take one of your tours, and Absolutely. I highly recommend Elliot. anyone listening to take one of Scott's tours. That's what I was thinking for us. I mean, we were looking for something sort of off. We wanted to go back to South America after visiting Peru. And as we left, we both broke just saying how much we did not get to see. We did the Sacred Valley. We did the Gringo Trail. Yeah. But I mean, it was worth it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't definitely not do that. But now that we have that experience, I think we look deeper into visiting Peru, South America. And yeah, uh, hopefully we, we, you know, link up and we could do this together one day. We should, um, we absolutely should do that. You know, I've, yeah. I've had a number of people that, uh, 
have been to Peru multiple times. And uh, in fact, just, I mean, not, not that recently, but in the last six months, this guy told me, he was like, man, you showed me, a, I had no idea that, that Peru was like that. And he said, you know, I had been to Sacred Valley, Machu Picchu, but you just showed me a completely different uh, facet of Peru and, and, and just seemed really pleased. And that makes me happy when, when you know, people say stuff like that. So, right. Yeah. And, yeah. and how can people uh, book with you? Um, so the best thing to do would be go to my website, which is www.ethnoco.com. That's uh, E-T-H-N-O-C-O.com. Perfect. Yeah. Hey, man, thank you so much. You just provided a ton of uh, information and some pretty <laughs> yeah. interesting stories. You, you really... kind of obliterated my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. That's, I like yeah. to hear that, too. And it just goes <laughs> to show how, how ingrained these plants are in culture with the stories that you're hearing and with this information you're able to provide. They're, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, so it, fun. It, yeah, it was really cool. So right. we'll have you back on to talk about animals, I think, and maybe expand on plants a little bit more. But Absolutely. Let's, let's, I hope we do it again. Thank you guys so much. That witch's broom thing was completely wild and totally unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was unfortunate that we had to cut this conversation short because I feel like we could have talked for hours. And that just means we're going to have to have them back because. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, I want to learn about those, the animals that right. produce psychedelic. Right. Effects. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think. Aren't there lemurs um, that lick frogs or something? Yeah. There's some. Was it people that lick frogs? I think that was a Family Guy episode. Was it a Family Guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch with him for sure. And the trip to the Amazon that he has. I am very, very, very interested in going into the Amazon is something that I've always wanted to do. Um, and so I think mm. I might do it. And yeah. for those of you listening, you can actually book with Ethnoco through our website. So please do that. Uh, if you're interested, if you liked what you heard, if you are uh, want to talk to Scott and maybe get involved with a trip to the Amazon jungle, we highly recommend um, either going to his website or going through our website and, and booking a trip with him. Yeah. Or if you're interested, we may, if we get enough interest, we may get a group of people together, eight or so people and take y'all down. Yeah. Did I say y'all. You did. You did say y'all. You, That's my uh, cousin, Kristen. Yeah. You hang and out the fact that I grew lately. up in North Carolina. Yeah. 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 All right, Bob, <sighs> what is the trivia question for Scott? Okay. Scott's trivia question. What was the book on voodoo in Haiti that Scott recommended? If you know the answer, please send us an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com. You can DM us through Instagram or Facebook. Uh, reach out to us however you like. Just send us that answer by next week. And if you get it correct, we will send you a Traveler's Blueprint sticker. Thank you for participating. Thank you for listening. Read us on iTunes. It's very much appreciated. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. 